is BTS with CTV behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos, and I'll be your guide behind the curtain, which takes us to East Vancouver and the mysterious and alarming disappearance of a mother of two. Her father did contact police after she failed to pick up her kids at school. 37-year-old Su Yi Liang had vanished without a trace, and in an unusual missing persons bulletin from the Vancouver police, officials said she'd vanished under suspicious circumstances, the likely outcome as grim as it gets. Police say investigators have already uncovered evidence in this case that leads them to believe Liang will not be found alive. Over the course of several months, a number of CTV journalists have taken up reporting on the story. We knocked on the door of the family home this morning. Do you know Su Yi Liang? Are you? The older couple who answered said they don't speak English. As the investigation progressed, chilling details kept the story alive. Police in dive suits prepared to plunge into the waters of Burrard Inlet just off New Brighton Park as other officers methodically searched the tall grass. And they were able to locate a cell phone on the bottom of the water. Despite being submerged, the phone has provided police with more information. Liang's distinctive vehicle became a center point of the investigation, abandoned at a pitch and putt golf course several kilometers from her home. Police believe Liang went missing on the morning of January 8th. At 12.19 that afternoon, her electric BMW i3 was caught on a traffic cam entering New Brighton Park. And again, as it left the area 11 minutes later. Vancouver police believe it was driven by someone other than the missing mother. They've kept many details secret, including information about people taken into custody. There's lots of reasons why we can't elaborate on suspects at this point or people of interest. The integrity of this investigation remains number one for us. Two of the reporters who've covered this story extensively are Shannon Patterson and Maria Weisgarber. Welcome to BTS. Thank you. Thanks, Penny. Shannon, let's start with you because you did the first full day of reporting on this story. And in many ways, it was really challenging to start finding information about this woman, even while VPD were looking for help to find her. It was. One of the first places we always look when we learn the name of, of a victim of crime, or in this case, a missing person, is social media. But Su Yi Liang did not have social media. And I thankfully had read somewhere that she sometimes went by the name Zeta. So I looked under Zeta and I was able to find a page for a Zeta Liang where the photos looked like the photo that had been released by police. Now, the night before, you were there after the home had been raided and you got a phenomenal shot through the door of a wedding photo of Su Yi and who we assumed was her husband. And we really lucked out on that because it was a pouring rain kind of day. They'd started to pack up and we were like, should we leave? And then I had noticed that they, um, the forensics investigators in their bunny suits had held the door open a little longer uh, than the previous times. And I was struck by this massive uh, portrait with a hot pink background. It was a wedding portrait. And so we made sure to get a, a shot of that. Uh, and then I passed that over to you the next day. And that was so helpful to me because... When I found Zeta Liang's Facebook, I could see that that was her in the wedding photo. And one of her Facebook friends was uh, a gentleman named Ken. And I could see that Ken was the groom in the wedding photo. What that allowed us to figure out is that Ken was her husband or is her husband. We're still not sure, actually, what her status is when she went missing. When we did a court search, we found that Ken Chen and Su Yi Liang were involved in a family court matter. It was another confirmation that these two are married, that that 
court matter was sealed, as all family court documents are, so we couldn't determine what this was about, but we knew that that was her husband and they were involved in a family court matter. We were able to get some photos of her, some photos of him, and some photos of two children on that Facebook page. And people are wondering why we need photos and why we need all this personal information there's just so much going on in the world every day, and it's those personal details, I think, that make people care. They they have some sort of a connection, and, and it helps us as journalists uh, reach out through all the noise and all the stuff going on online or, or whatever so that they care about this woman. Uh, Maria, did you find that to be um, kind of your strategy in reporting on this case as well? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in addition, this is a, also a, a missing persons investigation, so seeing the person who's missing can be a great help uh, to investigators and obviously to the public. We, we want people to see who she is so that if there's any chance anyone has any information about where she is or did they see her uh, in the lead up to the last time she was seen officially, which was January 8th of this year, um, that could be a huge help to the investigation. You know, we often hear police say things like, any piece of information, no matter how small, someone might think it's significant, uh, insignificant, but it's not to us potentially. We just need to know everything. Uh, someone someone saw in passing. Someone someone might have noticed on a walk they go on with their dog every day or something slightly different. Any of those little details could help. So in this case, yes. But in addition, uh, you know, this is a, a mother, uh, a wife, um, a, a woman living in Vancouver. Um, she's around my age. In fact, I think I'm just a year older than her. I mean, who couldn't feel for her family. She's got a family that must be desperately worried about her and children, and I can't even imagine what that must be like. So really, I mean, anything that can help in that hunt for answers and in spreading the word and letting people know what's happened to her, you, you only hope that it will help somehow. And that's why we have to make these stories. Uh, we don't want to have just one day of coverage. You need It needs to be a sticky story that we're going to look at for a few days and see that photo again and again and commit it to our memory and think, oh, yeah, she was the one that whatever. And it's not just in this story. There are, I think, a lot of stories where we try to um, advance it a little bit uh, over the course of several days so that it does stay in people's minds and in their memories. I think it's something that the public probably doesn't realize about reporting why it's so important for us to have photographs. And sometimes we ask for video as well. It's one of the first things I know all of us ask when we're involved in a story. It humanizes the person involved. It, it, we see their face. You know, a lot of times we see their smile. We see their families. We see their kids. And it really makes it real that Suyi was not just a name. She's a mom. And there she is. And there were photos of her we found on New Year's Eve just a few days before she went missing. She was ringing in the new year on Grouse Mountain. There's a big 2018 sign, and there she is. And that was just a few days before she went missing. And I think we want our viewers to care about our stories. And I think it, it, it's really important for us to show the people involved in our stories as people. So when reporters ask people for photographs, we're doing it because we really want the story to matter and, and to bring it home and make it human. And could, I'll just add something to that, too. You know, it's it's not easy for us to ask those things. I mean, we all know that being out there, but, you know, especially on a sensitive story like this, uh, it's very hard to ask those questions, but we know how important it is to telling that person's story, um, to, as Shannon says, you know, humanizing them and helping people connect with them. Um, 
but it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, we we see these people face to face. We see their families. We meet them. We talk to them. Uh, we we look them in the eye and and see how much pain they're in. And uh, it's 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 a challenge, you know. And so it's always that balance between being respectful and and being you know conscious of what they're going through and sensitive to that, but also getting out the information that's important for people to know and helping people to understand who this person is or was, depending on the story. And yeah, exactly. Evoking a response and and getting people interested enough to perhaps, who knows, maybe they share it with someone who ends up knowing something. I mean, that's the power of social media these days. You know, even once that story's out there, it could go anywhere and you never know who might see it. And it might be the right person who has the right kind of information to be able to either help the investigation or maybe, and even in some cases, help the family. You might have total strangers. We've seen that reach out to our station after we do a story that's particularly awful in some way and say, can I do something? Can I help? Can I support the family in all kinds of ways? You know, this case is uh, in many ways uh, still a bit of a mystery because we haven't really heard uh, too much from family members. Um, But, you know, that's also their choice. In some cases, you know, people uh, want to remain, uh, keep things a little closer to the chest, and we will respect that as well. It just depends on the individual story and it depends on the individual case, but we kind of have to take the temperature of that every time we go out and, uh, and do a story. Well, and speaking to the power of social media that you just mentioned, I think this is uh, the type of story where the power of television storytelling has a, a different ability to connect with people and make them care. It's it's part of the challenge because I know you've worked in radio. I know our print colleagues, there's a separation there. You can call someone, you can email them, you can get all sorts of things. When you look them in the eye, we pay a price for that often when it's an emotional story. Uh, but there is also something about telling that story in a visual format that does engage the viewer or in a way that is not, and thankfully now we can reach even more people through social media or different people, so there's a power in that, but if people are seeing these stories and thinking that it's easy for us to tell that story, there's always a price for us to pay, but again, I think it's worth it just because of the power of the medium that we're using in order to connect with people. It's the best part of being a TV news reporter, and it's the hardest part, is convincing people, especially in difficult stories, that there's value in talking to us. Cameras are scary. Let's face it, they are. And they're big. And it's intimidating. Very few people have experience having a camera in their face. If they've just been involved in something difficult, like um, a crime or a missing family member, they're already under massive stress. And then there's this pressure to talk to a camera. So as Maria said, one of the hardest things to do as a reporter is to gauge a situation and to gauge a family. Um, it's always very hard calls to make, but I tell myself when I make them or when I approach a family that there are families who really want to talk. There are families who um, really want their loved one's story out there. Now, in the case of Liang, we haven't heard from the family, and we've, we've tried. Um, but again, as Maria said, we have to keep our distance if that's something they don't want. And it's made this story challenging. She's a missing mother, and it's heartbreaking, but it makes it harder for us to tell her story. And it is why photos are so important, and seeing her is so important. So those photos came off Facebook, and we use Facebook a lot. And not everyone's happy that we take photos off Facebook, but in this case... I think those photos really show who she is or was. And, uh, we, we needed them to tell her story because uh, we haven't been able to tell it any other way. 
And telling that story and finding those photos and all sorts of information about her, uh, it's in this particular story because it has lasted weeks. It, it sadly looks like it will last for weeks or months longer. And we've been building off of each other's work. You alluded to it earlier, but you know that the first reporter on the scene may not be on the, uh, that story the next day because they either have a day off or a prior commitment for another story or whatever. So the teamwork and, and the building layers, I think, is so important in a story like this. Absolutely. I mean, even hearing Shannon describe today the steps she took in those very early stages to try and uh, establish some facts and, and find more out about uh, the person who's missing. I mean, hearing that, I, I didn't know all of the story behind that, and I'm, I was moved into the story today. And I did talk to Shannon. I touched base with her just to get a sense of, you know, are there any details that you can pass along to me? So it's absolutely, as always in TV, a complete team effort. You really do uh, lean on everybody that you work with, obviously, at any given day, but definitely on other reporters, uh, especially if a story stretches over months like this one has, and you may not always have uh, the same person working the story. It's a challenge in that way, um, but then, yeah, you just have to rely on each other, uh, and uh, and just hearing all of those those steps and uh, and it's it's pretty painstaking and and you want to be so careful. I mean, we we just absolutely. I mean, we have to always strive to be so so careful. We are we are aiming for accuracy. We want the facts. You have to be so meticulous. It's it's stressful. It's a, it's a great amount of pressure. But just you know, hearing the steps that she took to do that today, uh, you know, it was difficult. We weren't able to move it too much more uh, forward today, although we did get some information about a, a piece of evidence that was found during the water searches uh, that police were conducting. They found um, uh, the missing woman's cell phone, um, which we didn't know before. So, that, so it's only one new, one tiny new piece of information, although it's a very significant one, but just that is enough to keep moving it. And I mean, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to forget stories like these. We, we, we want to keep pushing them forward because they are still missing their conclusion. There's, there's, there are people waiting, there's a family waiting, there are friends waiting, there are investigators waiting, everybody's waiting to find out what happened in this case. So you have to keep pushing it forward, even if it's very small steps. And you're right, we all build off each other's work. Absolutely. And there's a lot of trust there because I can tell you when I was there the first day and Shannon, you probably found the same thing the second day. There were, you know, we found people that say, oh, I heard this. And, oh, my neighbor told me that. And I'm always really cautious with that kind of stuff because sometimes people just want to talk to a reporter. Sometimes people think they're being helpful when they don't actually know anything. And the moment it goes into your script or something as, you know, a possibility, it just kind of amplifies. And so you really have to trust your coworkers that uh, the rumors and the innuendo and stuff is is not in there because you're building off of that work. And, and there's a, a tremendous element of trust to be able to filter out the noise and get to what we know and what people saw. Because a lot of, every time, oh, well, I heard, okay, well, did you hear gunshots? Did you hear sirens? Did you hear all sorts of things? Or did you hear from someone? Because there's a very big difference when you're reporting, especially on a story as emotional as this one. I don't think people realize how careful we are. Um, I think the media gets a bad rap sometimes um, about being fast and loose with the facts, but I'll tell you, I don't see that here. We go we double and we triple check things. Um, I mean, when I saw that wedding photo, um, I, you know, I saw the man in the photo. I saw her Facebook friend who matched the photo, and I still, you know, ran it by management here. We still double checked it with that court document to be able to say that man is her husband took a lot of people signing off on it, even though 
every sign was pointing to it, and we had visual confirmation, we had court document confirmation, we don't want to make a mistake, especially in a sensitive case like this. And so we're very careful. The listeners can know we're very careful, and we don't report things that we haven't double and triple sourced. So um, it's it, it, it makes the job tedious sometimes, and all of us have had times when we know something, and yet you just, you know, you know, and you know, and you know, but you can't quite say. We've all been in that situation before. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll spell out what we do know, and we'll let the viewer at home draw a conclusion rather than say, this happened. We'll say, we know this, 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 and this. And then we'll let the viewer draw a logical conclusion of what that means. But we don't ever want to have a misstep and, and an untruth in our story. Well, and I've had people on Twitter uh, respond, not not in this story, but other ones that, you know, I remember one in particular, someone just was blasting me. Well, it's so obvious this person has a mental illness. You know, I'm not a uh, professional to diagnose that. There's a pattern of behavior that's very unusual. And yeah, that's probably the case. But I'm not going to go out and say that in a story when I don't know that to be true. I've not heard that from a, a professional or from an official of some kind who probably has a lot more information than they're giving us. We can't just make those assumptions. We can say X, Y, and Z. And if you come to that conclusion, there's probably a reason. But we can't come out and say that ourselves, uh, especially in sensitive stories. And that's why the rumors and the conclusions and stuff, we, you know, some people think that our reporting is, is dry, but you can't make those conclusions. And, there, and, you know, there's also other work here behind the scenes, too. When we're out in the field, you know, we can get people to do things like property searches for us and, and business license searches for us and searches of leases of leases for us. And all of those things can help be puzzle pieces that we can kind of put a picture together with or we can connect people to various cases with. And, and we have, uh, you know, excellent support on our desk with Sheila and Carly and, 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 and Scott Bills, all the folks there, and Tanya, who help us kind of work those things. Because those are hard things to do when we're out in the field, especially, mm-hmm. too. You need, almost to, you need to be at a computer at the station uh, and to be able to delve into those websites and dig really deeply into various layers of the web to be able to do that. And have um, 20 tabs open and comparing stuff and all sorts of... to do on our yeah. smartphones out in the field without you know making them just uh, go kaput. So there's that, too. And we do rely on those things as well. Anything we can. I mean, we, we have to ensure that we're, we're doing our absolute due diligence with these things all the time. And and you're right. I mean, you go out to a, a scene of something or an active investigation, and there will be people. There's always that speculation and rumor, and sometimes it's hearsay, and sometimes it's a third-hand account. And then you take all of that in, and you kind of filter out the things that are more dubious, and then you look at the things that seem you know, like they're solid and they're factual, and you confirm them, and you double-confirm, and you triple-confirm, and you do all of that, and you get it done by 6 o'clock. <laughs> but in the end, especially with stories like this, that are, you know, so much of it is still, uh, you know, shrouded in the unknown for various reasons, investigators not revealing everything that they know, which is often the case. Um, And sometimes, you know, Shannon, it's so true what you said that you, you, you can never sort of take for granted that a family of somebody who's missing or if something's happened that they may want to talk. And you always want to try and present that opportunity because some people really, really do. Uh, But if they don't, then you respect that and and then you just find other things that you can do that won't you know intrude on them to continue to get that story out there if it's important and it it's always that that kind of a a balance but they're hard stories to work on they're very hard stories to work on Uh, emotionally I mean you can't help but feel for anybody going through something like this 
I want to thank you both so much for being on BTS this week. Thank you so much, Penny. Thanks, Penny. I also want to thank Adam Lee for his support with Archival Audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me at bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daflos.